0: I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice-to-have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand-new Tax Strategy Masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. Well, the good thing when you're young
1: is that you don't know any better. And I didn't know any better. That's kind of a wrestler I was too is I might not have been the strongest and fastest, but there was nobody who was gonna outwork
0: me. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. If you want to learn all about low risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. You don't have to come from money to build wealth. If you can find a good deal, the money will follow. What you do need is a strong work ethic, solid relationships, and a willingness to put yourself out there. Today, I'm speaking with Ken McElroy, who went from a broke college student managing an apartment building to becoming a business mogul who has transacted over a billion dollars in real estate. Ken was by no means an overnight success. In fact, he spent eight years managing properties before he would own any of his own. But his determination to learn and ability to surround himself with the right people eventually paid off. Ken has gone on to experience great success in the world of real estate. Not only is he a best-selling author and internationally recognized speaker, but he's the real estate advisor to Robert Kiyosaki of The Rich Dad Company. In this episode, Ken talks about his unbelievable journey and his steps to go from property manager to property owner. You'll learn why not having enough money is a limiting belief that's holding you back why relationships are the key to success, and how to take advantage of life's unexpected opportunities so you can live the life of your dreams. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Ken has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. He's giving away his ebook, 21 Keys to Real Estate Success, which outlines the top things Ken wishes he would have known before he got started on his real estate investing journey. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 61. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Ken McElroy. Well, Ken, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much. I've just had so much fun getting to know you and, and learning more about your story. So welcome.
1: Thank you. Awesome, Justin. It's great to see you again. Uh, we had a good time in Dallas, that's for sure.
0: We did. You know, we, it, it was so fun just hearing your story, learning about your connection with real estate and all the, I mean, you've been in it for years, the deals that you've done with Robert Kiyosaki. You know, it's funny because I just recently did a podcast with Tom Wheelwrights and he spoke at our our conference that we just had for the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind and private clients. And so, it's really interesting seeing this world just come together here. But yep. your story is incredible. And I'd love to have you share some of it here with our audience.
1: Sure. Well, untraditional, I think like everybody who gets into real estate, I don't I don't know if it's ever intentional, but quite simply I didn't grow up with a lot. And my parents uh, were amazing, but we couldn't afford college for me, for sure. And so I had a wrestling scholarship, thankfully, and I I got in that way. And while I was there, I was offered by a friend of mine. He said, hey, we've got this 60-unit apartment building that uh, you can manage and uh, I'll give you free rent if you do it. I'm that's so, I'm in. Like I just said, you know, because you know I was racking up student debt, getting through school. I had a scholarship, but didn't pay for everything, and so you know, scrapping it out, trying to be a little more educated than I was. And uh, boy, did I have an education at that place! So I'm like, how hard could it be to collect rent and uh, you know pay a few bills and, and keep the place clean? You know, <laughs> and uh, boy, that was when my lesson started. I literally I had to fire the manager and the two assistant managers. And and I was there by myself. I didn't know what I was doing. And, but thankfully property management was my ticket for my next eight, eight years. I I ended up being in property management and I learned so much, but what I learned is I was creating all this value for other people. And one day I was like, you know, like I'm on the wrong side of the desk here. You know, I'm I'm the guy that gets the call and says, Hey, here's a property. Would you clean it up and fix it up. And, and I'm grateful. I, I don't even know exactly. Somewhere between 20 and 30,000 units up and down the Western United States. And, and so starting from Seattle area all the way down into California and Oregon. So when I actually got the courage and decided I was going to start owning properties, I didn't know what to do. And uh, I you know started finding mentors and coaches and things like that. And, and that's how I got on the other side. And, and I, I started doing that in the late '90s, and I never looked back. And now we've we've acquired uh, a little over three billion dollars in assets. Uh, right now, I own about not quite one and a half billion. So we've sold off some of those, and uh, we we do development, construction, property management, all in house. I've owned and built self storages and office buildings and condo projects and single family, and uh, but really my love is multifamily, which is what I primarily do right now. And we have a company, uh, great company culture. I had to learn that, you know, once you learn how to scale a company, then you have to learn how to you know, keep the people and keep them happy and all that. And so I poured myself into that and that's been a labor of love. And and then of course, philanthropy comes from there. And, uh, you know, in the last five years we hired a full-time director of philanthropy. So we give a lot, we're a very giving company. Uh, In fact, that is one of our core values is to be giving. So we're involved in the community, we're having fun, we're making money for our investors and ourselves, and our employees are having a good time. I'm enjoying all of it. I'm having fun.
0: That's incredible. I mean, just the level of success you've had is spectacular. To I mean, anytime you're you're mentioning something with the word billions, yeah, you know that you're doing something right. You know, it's really funny because your reputation really precedes you on a few different levels. So the call right before this was with a lifestyle investor mastermind applicant, and I told him that I had to get running because you know we had our interview. And he goes, "Oh yeah, I know him, and he's from the Seattle area." He started telling me some of your story about how you were you know doing property management in the early days and tied up with Robert and. It was cool hearing all that he knew and he's actually from Redmond, Washington or lives yep. there right now, so you know just outside Seattle yeah and I spoke with someone else earlier that also knew you and then of course, when I was hanging out with with Robert kiyosaki at the conference we were at, he just spoke so highly of you I, I've never heard him speak so highly of anyone before. and so that was really cool and we had gotten a chance to connect before that, but it was cool hearing his perspective and his story of you and how you guys met and the whole nine yards. So, thank you. Yeah. Kudos to you for having such an impeccable reputation.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Well, as you know, I know you do this too. Deliver on your promise and everything else will work. Stop bullshitting yourself.
0: That's right. That's right. Tell the
1: truth, be authentic, be transparent, and it will work out.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, it's interesting. My parents weren't able to afford my education either. So it was, hey, figure out a way to go to college and to pay for it. Otherwise, you're not going to go and bless their hearts. They they wanted to help so much. And even inside the first semester, they they did what they could to, like, be supportive. And they're just incredible parents. But I'm still the first person in our family, extended family, to actually graduate from from college and one of my professors at the school did what you did to a certain degree where he was property manager he actually had an opportunity to buy the apartment complex as a college student and then manage it which is just oh, good for him unbelievable so i wish i would have gotten that early of a start but <laughs> you got to run it while you're in college that that's incredible
1: yeah honestly it was incredible experience just to
0: I was laughing the other
1: day because I started as a paper boy, you know, when I was 14. That was my first job. I'd get up before school and and deliver the Seattle Post Intelligencer at like 5 a.m. And I did that every day for a couple of years. And and I would knock on the doors, you know, and try to collect that, you know, the money, you know. And uh, the way that worked back then was that uh, you got to you got whatever you could collect over a certain amount. So they set a certain number, and then you got kind of that overage. So I was hustling, hustling, hustling to get to that point. And I was laughing because I there's an analogy between when I was collecting rent and collecting for a $10 newspaper. It was like the same excuses, almost exact. You know, it just didn't matter and so the lessons of life, they're everywhere as you as you navigate things and, and you start to open your mind and see things for what they really are.
0: So what was the first property that you bought?
1: Yeah. So I started with a two bedroom, two bath using my own money. And, you know, like a lot of people, that's how you start. And and I I was scared to death. It was all my savings and And I used it and it was cash flowing. I want to say like a hundred, you know, just north of a hundred a month. That's if it was full. So I started small and and made small mistakes, but I was in the property management business. So I actually was pretty good at keeping it full and managing it and all that. And then I started doing a a bit of those. But then I actually had some uh, duplexes, fourplexes and things like that. But then I jumped right up and bought a property that I was managing. So... I still own it. It's 182 units. I bought it over 20 years ago. It's in Sun City, Arizona. And I bought it for $9 million. And, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. $2 million down and $7 million in debt, roughly. I think the thing's probably worth 50 now or something. Wow. You know, it's because Arizona things are easily 300 to 300 a door right now. And uh, in some cases, 400 a unit. And so that's how I started. It was interesting and it was all on a handshake from the guy that uh, allowed me to manage it. And he was one of the richest, he was on the Forbes list at the time in New York. And I called him up and he, we did, I remember I was plain as day. I was walking through the Portland airport and I was on the phone with him and we cut a deal right then over the phone, almost in a handshake. And he's like, I'll send over the documents. And uh, it's a long story behind it, but I had his trust as being the property manager for a while, cause it, it had a rough start. I fixed it. And, uh, he had one investment in, uh, they, they, he owns over 10,000 units in Manhattan. So he had one little investment out in Arizona that he did for a favor. And I asked him if I could buy it and he sold it to me and the rest is history.
0: That's incredible. What, what was the market for that? Like, was that a fair price? Was that, were you overpaying? Were you underpaying? I didn't overpay. I don't think I underpaid. It was a senior. It still is a senior
1: property. It's in a 55 age-restricted community. So we had very low turnover. The issue when I came on was that all the downstairs were full and all the upstairs weren't for obvious reasons, right? The seniors didn't want to walk up the stairs. So what I did was I made the downstairs more expensive. And that which drove the upstairs, you know, and again, just from being in property management, you know, you don't discount the upstairs, you raise the first floor. And there's a bunch of other things that we did, but we ended up filling it up. And, but we used a, um, you know, arm's length. His name was Leonard Litwin. He's very bright, very smart, way smarter than me. And in a lot of ways, I would ask him questions just as, you know, in a lot of ways, he was probably my first real estate mentor. But uh, I didn't get a lot of FaceTime with him because he was so busy. But I, when I did, I coveted it, and it was a fair deal. It wasn't
0: wasn't a deep discount at all. Now, Ken, you're used to just like doing some property management. You've got a single family home. Maybe you've picked up one or two more at this time. But this is a big move. You yeah, to move property management on other people's stuff on your own asset. Maybe you only have one at the time. You jump to. A $9 million purchase price, you've got to come up with $2 million. I've got to assume you didn't have this yourself. So, what's the story there? How did you figure that out?
1: Yeah, in the 90s, too. You know, I was like, well, the good thing when you're young is that you don't know any better. And I didn't know any better. And I literally, all at work, that's kind of a wrestler I was, too is I might not have been the strongest and fastest, but there was nobody who was gonna outwork me. And so that's what I did. And started knocking on doors, calling, you know, back then we'd have the internet and trying to figure out people that had money. And, you know, I start with yeah, my rich uncle. Everybody had my rich uncle, even though uh, he didn't invest, the lesson from him was invaluable because you're asking all the wrong questions. You're doing all the wrong things. You, you're looking at all the wrong things and you have all the wrong assumptions. And you think you do, but you don't. And, and so when people like Mr. Litwin or my uncle can come in and say, hey, these are things that you should be looking at, then you slowly change your pitch. You slowly change your business plan. And I end up raising money through my attorney at the time and his buddies. Uh, and uh, he was a real estate attorney. He's still my attorney, by the way. And, you know, incredible friend. And he turned me on to his buddies. And, you know, as you know, The power of the math, like once they saw the deal and they start to see the return and they were excited about the senior market because even in the 90s, they were talking about the aging baby boomers. You know, now it's kind of old news, but this is like, this is going to happen. And so I just kind of hung my hat on that and said, this lifestyle living, it's not, it wasn't assisted care or congregate care. It was lifestyle living is something that, you know, our our turnover is almost nothing. People do not move when they're seniors, it's it's awesome, unless they have to, and which is rare. So yeah, and it was just, uh, I didn't want to fail. So I did it. I
0: love it. Well, and by the way, I love hearing that story, because I took a lot of pride early on in my career that I would outwork anyone. And that was a good differentiator, because most people won't work that hard. So when you are willing to do it, and when you have the resume to back it up or or the reputation to back it up, it is much easier to raise money. I always tell people, because when I first started, it took me a long time to get into real estate. I wanted to do real estate a lot longer than I was actually doing real estate because I had this limiting belief in my mind that I had to have the money to be able to do the deal. And it took me a handful of years to figure out no, this is holding me back. I actually just need to go find the deals. And if the deal is good enough, the money will show up. And that's the truth. Like you have a good deal, trust me. Money is the easiest thing to come by, even when you don't have it. So at a certain point in your life, like there's this whole idea around scarcity of money. And when you don't have any, it's very scarce, but it's truly an abundant resource. And when you have the thing that others want, who have money, it is really easy to raise it. And I know you've experienced that as well.
1: Yeah, I was taught the same as everybody else. I, I believed that you had to have a bunch of money in the bank in the beginning, Justin. I was I was going out and saying, hey, if I find a good deal, would you invest? And the answer was always yes, of course. But then when uh, the time came, they were nowhere. And, and <laughs> But what happened, what I did find is that the deal drives the, the investor So I always, Robert and I, as you know, I kind of skipped over the whole books and all that kind of stuff because that's an, it's a significant piece, but uh, it's really my kind of give back education piece is writing all the books. But Robert and I were at a conference in New York with Trump. And I remember this, we were walking through the Javits Center and there's these booths and all these booths trying to sell stuff around real estate. You know, some of them were down in the Caribbean, some of them were in passport issue stuff, and some were in Mexico and some were local. And we walk up to these two just gorgeous girls with this big, beautiful black and white photo, and there are two models standing next to it. And you look at the table, it's like a bound book. You know, it's beautiful, right? So we were walking through and we were just grabbing stuff and, and going into the green room, getting ready to speak. And I'm sitting there looking at all the stuff. And I said, I go to Robert and I go, look at this brochure. You know, this is probably five or 10 bucks. Just this one. I go, you know, the deal, it's, it's interesting. I go, the bigger the brochure, the worse the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and he started laughing and we started saying uh, kind of to your point. Like, like deals get done almost on a napkin now, like the high math. Obviously, it's not perfect. But if I called you up right now and I said, hey, we buy it for this. It's got a $20 million value add. we got to put this much in it. And I've already got a debt quote. You would say in. Now, there's a zillion things that I have to prove out. But a lot of people don't realize that that uh, investors are sitting on a bunch of money and they're typically in their bank account. And or they're making a bunch of money or and their companies are kicking off a bunch of money. And a lot of times their options are the financial planners of the stock market. So they're just frothing for guys like us that can bring them something that provides cash flow tax free. And that was the, the little secret, Justin, that I didn't realize is that I was syndicating in the 90s. And it wasn't a thing. And people were clamoring to find out, how do I invest in an apartment building? And, and so the first one was hard. Don't get me wrong. And then I had to work my butt off to prove out the numbers. But then the next one is a little bit easier. And the next one became a little bit easier. And the deal started getting bigger. And then the brokers started to take a look. You know, they're like, oh, this guy is like buying buildings now. And then the debt guys show up and the, you know, like, you know, so all this stuff starts to happen as my friend says, way leads to way leads to way, you know, it's just
0: things connect as you get into motion. Hey, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my online course. As a listener, you probably know my story. In under two years, I had multiplied my net worth to over eight figures and my investments were generating enough passive income for my wife and me to quit our jobs. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out asking how I was able to accomplish this in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. My methods are unconventional but I've always wanted to share my strategies and help as many people as possible accomplish financial freedom. And while the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor Course, a roadmap for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of lifestyle investing. Anyone can use my system, no matter what level they're at in their investing career. So if you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple to follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Now let's get back to the show. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And so much of what you're saying is just spot on, especially with like the deal terms. And if I mean, you hear the right deal and you're in, it doesn't take much, like you can make a commitment in seconds. And I love that you're so good about developing relationships with people that become long term business relationships, and then they become friendships. And so You know, you did this with your attorney. We were talking about a few other people in your pipeline that you did this. You did this with Robert. You've made a career of being able to have these long-term relationships. And I think it's a big red flag when you've got someone that is an investor that is always turning to new relationships. They, They can't keep the same vendors, clients, whoever it is that they use. Like that to me is something to pay attention to. Like how long have you had investors? How long have you used the same relationships and brokers and lenders and whoever it might be. So I love that, that you do that. And I kind of have this philosophy that as long as someone in my network is an expert at the thing, if I'm going to spend money on it, I might as well do it inside my my family, my family of friends. Yeah. And so sometimes it's friends first, and then I do business with them. But other times it's doing business with them, and then we become friends. And it's just such a rewarding Relationship, You know,
1: it is, it, you know, it's funny when my dad passed uh, 10 years ago, I got to learn all about hospice and all of that. And one of the things that I learned from hospice was there are, as they measure them at the end of life, are people's top regrets. And one of those is relationships. I wish I would have forgiven. I wish I would have mended a relationship. Literally, those are at the top. I mean, just go Google it. And so obviously, when something like that happens, you have to evaluate things. You have to evaluate your relationships with your people. And you just never know when that is. And so for me, I was already headed down that track. But then it just solidified all of it. And so I'm relationship first. And business is actually pretty low on the on the category for me.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with... so. For example, let's just use Robert. You guys have been friends for a long time. There's a point in time before you knew him. You've had success before you ever met Robert, but you guys became great friends. You're neighbors now. You're, you're super close. I mean, it, in many senses, it's you guys travel almost everywhere together, which is so cool to see. And you both speak so highly of the other person. But how did you guys meet? And how did you broker this relationship? Yeah. Because when you take two people that have their own unique set of superpowers and you combine them that's where you get that one plus one equals five and i feel like that's exactly what you guys have had yeah thank you well so what happened was obviously and we talked about my first building
1: then i bought another one and i have a partner too ross McAllister, who's we merged our companies as well and uh, that made us stronger. He's a general contractor and he's uh, a little bit older than me and, and, and has a little more experience too. So the two of us together, uh, we're still together and uh, he's an incredible friend. And so what happened was, what does happen, as you know, is all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is working. <laughs> Our investors are happy. We're making money. Let's try to scale it. And so that happened. And then I, I joined EO. It used to be called YEO at the time. And uh, which is entrepreneurs organization. And in my EEO chapter, there was a guy that knew Robert and I was raising capital. I mean, plain as day, I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm out buying properties and I'm looking for capital. And, and if you guys know anybody that, that is interested, let me know. And so I, I got a referral. I called Robert and I met him and Kim at the uh, Phoenix Country Club because they were living in Phoenix at the time and they had a home in Hawaii. They had just sold their business and Richard said Poor Dad had just been released. So this would have been what, 20, almost 25 years ago, I guess. And, and I sat down with them and well, first of all, the first thing I did is I, I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna meet this guy, I better go buy his book and read it. So I went to the store, I bought the book. I read it in one night. I met with him the next day. And, and of course I made that the topic like you would. And then for about a year, they passed on everything. <laughs> They just said sorry, it's not for us. Sorry, it's not for us. And they owned a little twelve-unit and some other stuff. And they had just literally, you know, they were on this kind of high with Rich said poured at. It was not the phenomenon that it is today. And then he asked me, he's like, "Hey, you want to come to one of my events?" I swear this is true. Uh, I'm like, "Sure, yeah, I'll come." What is it? You know, I had no idea he did seminars or anything. And he's like, "Yeah, I teach this this seminar, uh, and it's in Cave." Cave Creek, Arizona. I'm like, okay, I'll be there. So I forgot. So so on Sunday morning, I woke up. I was supposed to be there Friday or Saturday. I completely forgot. Sunday morning, I woke up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I completely blew off her And so I had flip-flops on shorts and a t-shirt i jumped in my car and i drove up i'm like oh my god i need to go up and at least apologize so i walk in and there's like 400 people in the room and it's a full seminar you know there's all this stuff going on on the walls and there's stages and and he's, he sees me come in and he's like kenny come on up to the room he doesn't care that i didn't wasn't there the first two days and they have obviously enough going on so i go up on stage first time i've been on stage and he's like, "Tell them what you do," and he walked off. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> and it was right before lunch. And I remember Kim came up to handle me a little bit because I was just like, "What am I doing here?" And and I was completely not dressed very well either. So everybody's all you know in sport coats, and you know I'm in t-shirt and shorts. And then uh, she's like, "You're gonna get swamped because all I did was talk about what I was working on." And then that's when I realized that there's all these people out there trying to learn. I had no idea. I'd never been to anything like this. And so uh, I said, this is kind of cool. You know, there's all these people wanting all this information. And all of a sudden, I had some more investors. So I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And so I'm like, maybe I should do a little bit more of this. He's like, I'd like you to write a book. For you know, based on what you've done, I'm like, well, I have no idea how to write a book. So then I found somebody to help me do that, and mumbled through that, and that's how the ABCs of Real Estate Investing came out. And then that opened more doors, as you know, you know, to radio shows and like you have your book, right? And so you know, those kinds of things they open doors and and get you in spots that maybe you wouldn't be at, and uh, from a speaking standpoint or on a radio or whatever. Now they're all podcasts and things like that, but. So that's how it started. And then I I started traveling with them because I wanted to learn how to speak better. I wanted to learn how to articulate from stage and and I wanted to see the world. And so we went all over the world together. I've now written six books, I think. Uh, But we've been to Russia, Asia, Australia multiple times, Europe, all over Europe, all over the US, Canada, Mexico, Spain, you name it, Bolivia. Like, so- I just go when I can around my family. I put my family first. And so, uh, and I would bring them on a lot of those trips. So I brought them to a bunch of those places as my kids were growing up and just kind of made it a family affair. And and it was just the whole thing was just awesome. And at the same time, running my business, growing the company, buying assets, and obviously did very well by Robert and Kim and grateful that they had the confidence in in our company
0: that's such a fun story and it's so great being able to do life with people and to get past the surface level stuff where you can really live and travel and break bread and just experience the the depth of what a true relationship with time spent means and for what it's worth I loved your book. Your book, The ABCs of Buying Rental Property was the third book I read in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. I've read every book, but it was the first book I ever read on real estate. And so I remember I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I was like, this is incredible. Holy cow, how did I not know about this? What a mindset shift. And then when I read Cashflow Quadrant, I was like, just totally blown away. (laughs) I was like how did I have another level of mindset shift? And then I read your book and I was like, man, I got to get in the game. And at that point in time, I was in Chicago and I kept on walking by, I lived in Lincoln Park and I would walk by these three flats and four flats and I just wanted to buy one so bad. And so reading your book, I was like, man, this is possible. I can do this. I need to start making moves towards it versus just laying in this limiting belief space where I think I have to have the money. So I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, it was really neat when we got a chance to meet. Yep. Because when we officially met, I hadn't even connected the dots yet when you said, Oh, yeah, you know, that I was that guy that wrote it. I was like, Oh, yeah, you hold a special place in my heart. That's awesome, Ken. Thank you. I appreciate it. I I tell you what,
1: that's uh, my partner just laughs. He's like, that is the book that just keeps on giving, you know, it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. I'm actually revising it right now because it's a bit dated, uh, just on some rents and things like that, as you would imagine, from, from over the years. So uh, I'm coming out with a new revised version next year. But that book has been great, tried and true. It's a, a true story about buying a, an eight-unit building and how to do it. It was, uh, it was fun to write.
0: That's so great. It's interesting because you talked about how... And I remember when we first met, you're like, Yeah, Robert had me on stage. I didn't even know I was going to talk. And he's like, All right, just talk. And uh, you're like, Oh, I kind of wasn't prepared for it. But it was my first speaking engagement. But then you went on to do a lot of speaking with him. And then also with one of my other favorites, Tony Robbins. So I learned that you not only spoke on stage with him, uh, and I believe it was at Wealth Mastery, but I think you were the youngest speaker Tony had ever had. Is that right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, like Justin, you just got to like put yourself out there and you just got to, you got to put things in motion. And listen, I, I grew up like you very humbly and thinking that this is where I was going to be for the rest of my life. And I just continue to work hard. And what happens is people recognize as you put stuff out there, you put books out there, you put podcasts out there, you, and all of a sudden, one day, Tony called and, and Robert and Tony have history, too, which I didn't know, uh, you know, a good, good history of, of studying together years ago. And, and the, the industry is very, very interesting and, and it's a lot more collaborative than people might think. And I, of course, because I make a lot of money on my real estate. I don't even know why I'm speaking. I'm not I'm not getting paid. I'm like trying to educate, you know, and, and I've actually tried to figure that all out too. But at the same token, in the beginning, I was trying to hone my own speaking and try to figure that out and deliver good messaging and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I'm like, you know, trial by fire, I guess. And then, and then eventually kind of turn that into the more of a learning platform like yourself and put some real effort behind it and some people behind it and put some wind behind it. And so it's been a heck of a fun journey, honestly, and and just speaking with all these different folks over the years.
0: It's so neat to just see how these worlds collide and who knows who. And I mean, one conversation, one relationship and the trajectory of change for the direction of your life, like the, the gravity of that one intersection is just mind boggling. But I also love really what you've done on the charitable side. I know you talked about it a little bit and I'd love to give you a chance to share because one of the things for me that's so important with my book with the lifestyle investor, I really wanted to not only educate people on how to be financially free to create financial freedom. So it's a, you know, there's opportunities to impact mindset where people can, can take not only that, but shift the behavior and have the the tangible, practical application to be able to do it. But moreover than that, there are so many people that don't even have basic human rights and, and human freedoms. And so I wanted the money of the book, the profits to go towards charitable organizations. And so all the profits of Lifestyle Investor have gone to an organization I love shining the light on, love Justice International because they are stopping human trafficking in 17 countries around the world. In fact, they're, they're opening nine more locations. And they're just doing incredible work. They rescued over 500 kids last month. It's really an incredible thing that they're doing. And I just, you know, it gives me so much joy to see the impact that this focus energy and really just the book itself has been able to create. And I know you're doing the same thing with your organization. And I know you started a nonprofit and you have raised over a million dollars for your nonprofit or the nonprofits you've been part of over the last decade. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, well, I think what happened in the beginning, you know, I was a check writer like a lot of people and I did it for tax reasons and it wasn't really meaningful. And then when I when I started to get involved, what happened was a friend of mine's son was diagnosed with autism. And uh, this is years ago and uh, before autism. This was back in the day when I really didn't have a lot of notoriety. So I got involved with just a simple walk and I started doing it was almost like a March of Dimes walk. And it was a small growing movement and, and it grew each year. And I was a volunteer. I'd go there, get there at 5 a.m., help set up, help with registration, whatever, whatever I needed to do. I bring my kids and all that kind of stuff. And I realized when you see the faces of the folks and, and the stories, and you start to, you know, really connect with people, I realized that I needed to get more involved in things. And so that's when I started to be more intentional. And so that started from a physical standpoint. And then, then my friend who he started California Closets. And he was one of the founders at EO. He uh, called and said, listen, I've got only a year to live. And he got diagnosed with cancer. And so I'm like, well, okay. So then I really got involved. And I said, okay, I'm going to take this over. And I became the chairman of the walk for, for two years while he was recovering. And then I really got immersed into it. And my whole company got immersed into it. And what that turned into was a full-time director of philanthropy. And in, in addition to that, my partner, Ross, he had some things happen in his family around cystic fibrosis. So the both of us, and by this time, the properties that we had owned were with uh, you know, quite a bit and they were kicking off lots of cash. And so we said, okay, let's designate a bunch of money from our properties into these foundations and, and bring on this director, so, which we did. And, and then and that's just, just really just taken off. And so then what we did was we ended up doing partnerships with our vendors. And, and uh, so Ross and I fund the majority, but then our vendors fund and our employees get an opportunity to fund too. And they actually can write their own grants to their own charity. So we, I don't know exactly the number that we, we give out every year now. But it's a lot, and the employees can uh write their own grants and they, they go through a board and all that, and then they get the grants to whatever charity makes them happy. So it's a, quite a few charities because we have 250 employees. So what really happened, which was really interesting, was we had quite a bit of money in the in the foundation, and then the pandemic hit, and we didn't lay anybody off, of course, but some of the our employees families had been severely impacted, like maybe their husband or their wife had lost a job or parents or whatever. So we gave out, um, gosh, we were giving out five and $10,000 grants to families during that out of our foundation to our own people. So that kind of got us through that period of time. And so the charity thing has been really significant for us. It is one of our core values. We have five core values, and one of them is be giving. If you look at our website, it's to invest, to live, to play, to give. That is what you'll see. And you know it's always primary uh, issue in our firm as you would imagine, and not by any kind of design. That attracts a different kind of employee. And so we found that by having that, just by doing something that Ross and I wanted to do, our culture got better, stronger, deeper and tighter. And we started attracting very, very, very good people because they wanted to be part of something bigger than just making money.
0: Ken, that is incredible. And I love that you were able to use your foundation to support your own team and staff in a time of of need and of crisis. That is so cool. It reminds me when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of mentors in investing or entrepreneurship or anything like that. I, I didn't know anyone when I was young that was a business owner or that invested as a profession. And so I remember that my mentors were authors. It was you, it was Robert, it was Tom Wheelwright. It was, you know, just a number of different people. Stephen Covey and I mean, just you name it, Napoleon Hill. I mean, these are people that had a huge impact, whether they know it or not, Tony Robbins. And so the interesting thing is when I finally started meeting successful people, and I would say, Hey, how can I meet more people like you? Like, where would I hang out with them? The common theme was that I should get involved in philanthropies. And when I was young, I was like, I don't want to do that. I wasn't asking to like, go give time somewhere or go donate somewhere. I want to know like where are the people that are doing the thing that I want to do. And it's funny because over time, I kept getting the same answer. And finally, uh, it clicked for me. And that was, oh, the people that have figured it all out and are really successful in life and are so successful that they don't need to work. They're spending their time At these charities, they're donating their time, donating their resources. They're starting them themselves. They're sitting on the boards of them. And I'm glad in many respects that I didn't figure that out, that I was a little too hard headed because it would have been for the wrong reasons. And so now, you know, I I love it because I've come full circle. I understand this. And I love spending time there and time as far as treasures, right? Your, Your time, your treasures in these spaces for the right reasons and it's amazing the fun synergies and connections you can have with other like-minded philanthropists that value this in their life and in their business
1: yeah it's true and i'll tell you really you want some purpose and every time you want to maybe feel a little bit about bad about yourself or or feel down All you got to do is go back to some of those moments. I know, like, well, I climbed Kilimanjaro twice with my kids. Uh, Well, each kid I brought up, we summited. And uh, part of that trip is working in an orphanage for the blind in Africa. And I remember my son, my older son, who's coming over here in about an hour, I said, so, you know, what was your takeaway, you know, from the whole week of that week and the climbing the mountain, which, you know, took another two weeks. He said, I can't believe how happy these people are and how little they have. And, uh, and I was like, all right, good for you. You know, because that, so, so when you, when you're around that stuff and you immerse yourself in that stuff, you start to realize how, how lucky, how grateful actually we really
0: are. Yeah. That's incredible. I love that you're doing this with your kids and that this is, you know, a family value for you. And it is for us too. I think, you know, there's a lot that we, are very similar on. And I think that's probably, probably why we resonated so well when we when we finally connected. I'd love for my audience to learn more about you. Where can we find you?
1: Well, thank you. Oh, the, the best way is kenmcleroy.com. And uh, you know it's K-E-N-M-C-E-L-R-O-Y.com. And on there, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. It has links to get to the company, which is MC Companies that's probably the best place you can, you can look on there. We do videos and blogs and newsletters and all that kind of stuff to kind of support people that are trying to figure out things in the real estate community. We do have a, something for your listeners. Uh, we have it at kenmacroycom slash lifestyle investor. We actually have a test that says, what kind of investor are you? So you can maybe try that. It's kind of fun. You just fill it out. It's it's like 25 questions, but it kicks right to your inbox. It's kind of fun.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us and with our audience. And I just got to say, I've had so much fun hanging with you here today. I I say this often in my podcast that the people that I meet and get to know better, it's so fun. Like, I want to do this anyway. And it's really neat that we get (laughs) to share this with the world.
1: Oh, it's so true, Justin. I appreciate your time and being on your channel. And I know uh, we're going to get you on mine. And as you know, the world is made up of reciprocity. And one of my mentors, when I was off base with somebody, she said to me, Well, one of you is out of exchange. And I'm like, Oh, that's a very interesting way to put it. And it was true. And I think that uh, people could learn that lesson. Just always try to be in exchange, mm. equal value. So that's uh,
0: one of my philosophies. Oh, it's so cool. Well, thank you for sharing that and for your time. And I want to end this call as I end each call. And that is with this. What is one step you can take today towards financial freedom and towards a life on your terms, a life by design, not by default? Thanks. And we'll catch you next week.